This week, Music Biz Weekly podcast, we're talking about private gigs and how can you get your band, your music, your performance into the private gig world and make money, corporate, house concerts, wedding events. We've got a great discussion this week. Welcome to the Music Biz Weekly podcast, founded in 2011 and with over 500 weekly episodes where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert, two longtime music industry pros, discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you need to succeed in this new music business. Band website in minutes with Banzoogle. Go to Banzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. Jay, how you doing on this uh, bright Thursday morning? It is bright. No, every day above ground is a good day, my friend. And that's that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Got to believe in it. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into this really, really interesting discussion of private gigs and how to get yeah. them, um, a quick shout out. Oh, you know what? Let me do a pause here so I can edit because I completely forgot to open up my notes. No worries. And music this week. There we go. Uh, before we get into this week's great discussion about private gigging, um, just a quick shout out to Bruce at Hypebot and Bands in Town. And and we really, this is kind of the official announcement, but we are going to be launching the Music Biz Weekly community, I guess is what we might be calling it, um, on the Bands in Town artist community platform. Yeah. There will be uh more details coming soon it's it's being built out it's being set up but that's going to be uh, a platform a a place to directly engage with jay and myself ask your questions comment on the shows follow up with homework um all sorts of stuff like that so um as that progresses we'll keep everybody uh updated on that but just a quick thank you to our sponsors Banzoogle.com, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it so easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. Banzoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world, from weekend warriors to Grammy winners. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and a custom domain name. Dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, of course, social media integrations, and amazing live tech support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. They actually have musicians handling their tech support, so they know what you're talking about when you call them. Um, We put together a great offer for all of our listeners. Head over to bandzoogle.com, sign up, try it for free for 30 days. And when you register, make sure you put in the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY, all one word, and you will get 15% off the first year of any subscription. And of course, a big thank you to discmakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's musicians. Digital royalty payments can be so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, 
t-shirts online and at gigs has become such an important income generator. For every CD you sell at a gig, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money. It's a lot of streams. That's a lot of marketing effort. Mm -hmm. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. We got a great offer we put together for all of our listeners. Head over to discmakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, and when you check out, use the promo code FREEBIZ, all one word, FREEBIZ, and you'll save up to $150 in shipping costs. So, Jay, this week, who's yeah. sitting down with us? We're going to have a super interesting conversation about some alternative types of gigs. Um, it's a whole different world. And so we've invited on Jared Judge, and he's from booklive.com. Super interesting conversation. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get some great insights and tips and tricks on how to get into the private gig world corporate events, house concerts. Jay, you've put on plenty of house yeah, concerts. Done a bunch of those, yeah. This. yeah. Even, even wedding gigs. And, and what's the difference between private gigs and public gigs? Not just the money that you can make, but the shows and what you can expect to have to do and not do at these events. So let it roll. We'll see you at the end. Every month, thousands of musicians and industry professionals listen to the Music Biz Weekly podcast. If you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience, get in touch with Michael or Jay to discuss sponsorship. Visit musicbizweeklypodcast.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Today we're joined by Jared Judge from booklive.com. I'm Jared. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Where are you me. based at? I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ah, Packer fan? Not yet. Oh, thank goodness, don't, because don't. Mike and I are big Viking fans. That might don't have been a there. problem. Yeah, okay. I mean, if, if, you, if you would have said you were a Packers we fan, would have hung we, up. we would have been wrapping up right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thanks for joining us today, Jared. That was... Yeah. No, so, so tell us a little bit about uh, Book Live. I think this is really fascinating, and I think it's a part of the business that's really under talked about. Talk about uh, Book Live. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a musician. I actually play violin and viola and a bunch of other instruments a little less well. But um, Book Live is kind of like, it's a business that teaches musicians and then provides them tools to make a full-time living, mainly through private events. So um, the way that that got started though was actually I, like most other musicians, started learning my instrument at a very young age, and I actually got two degrees in music, and throughout my entire musical training, nobody ever taught me the business of music. I mean, you guys mentioned that, but you know, many artists feel that way too. Nobody teaches them the business. So for me, like I had these lofty music goals, as we all do. I wanted to be a professional symphony orchestra conductor. And so that's why I went to music school for my grad degree to be an orchestra conductor. But, you know, it, it doesn't have to just be conducting. You could want to tour the world and, you know, release a single that has millions of streams. Regardless, we all have these goals and then people try to teach us how to get there. But ultimately we fail. So I was failing at that too in grad school. 
Um, I had actually taken a bunch of auditions in grad school. One of them was for the Air Force Band to be a conductor. And, you know, I took the audition. I made the final round, which was so cool. Got to conduct some of the best musicians in the country. And then the commander of the band pulled me into the band, uh, pulled me into his office, said, please shut the door. And I was like excited. Am I getting the job? And I could see in his face it wasn't happening. So when he said, I'm sorry, you're just not experienced enough, like try again next year. Like for me, that was when my dreams were like fading away from me. So I fly back to Milwaukee from Washington, D.C. and I tell my music teachers, I keep trying at these goals and I keep failing over and over again. Like, could you please tell me how to make a living doing what I love? Because this isn't working. And they shrugged their shoulders and then they suggested, well, the business school is only like a hundred feet away. Why don't you go ask if they have any advice? So I was really lucky to be on a college campus that had both a music school and a business school. And when I kind of left my comfort zone, the music school and went to the business school, that's kind of when everything changed for me because they taught me how to market myself and how to sell high paying gigs. So they, we talked a lot of things, like some of it I didn't need, you know, I didn't really need all this like advanced accounting stuff they were trying to shove on me. I just want the basics. I want to know how to make a living performing. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, let's get you the basics. You need to learn how to market yourself. We'll teach you about marketing funnels and how to specifically apply that to you as a musician, which also means who do we put through your marketing funnels? You shouldn't focus on everyone only focus on the high paying gigs that can pay you a full-time living. Then once you find those people, put them through your marketing funnel, you need to just learn how to sell your group. Because if you look at most musicians' websites, they're not selling their group to people who can pay the bills. They're selling their group to other musicians. So let's shift the way that you sell your group to appeal to those who are actually paying your bills. And once I did that, we actually hit hundred K within our first year of actually launching our private event gigging group. So that's kind of the origin story of like, you know, how I learned how to do this myself. Book Live though, we now teach other musicians to do that too, but we also have a software tool that automates a lot of the busy back office work. And that came from when I actually missed a gig. Uh oh, <laughs> yeah. tell us about uh -oh. that. <laughs> oh man, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> like every time someone asks, like, "Can you tell us about this?" Like, "Okay, we'll do it. Let's do it." So, you know, I was still in grad school at this time, and I had learned how to sell tons of gigs, and I was really busy. Uh, but I was still in grad school, still had a full-time course load, still practicing my instrument hours a day, and ultimately, I wanted to take my wife out on a date on Saturday pretty reasonable request. So being that I actually, the gigs that I did were weddings because I knew that that was a very high paying market. I know that right. you, you do like house concerts and you know, there are all kinds of high paying gigs, sure, but sure. For, for me, it was weddings. Those typically happen on Saturdays. So I checked my calendar. I checked my spreadsheets because when you're a busy gigging group, you have to be organized. So I thought I was organized and I had no gigs planned for that Saturday. 
So I was like, yeah, let's go to this apple orchard. I found one that was like an hour away. It looked really cute. They had hay rides and all that. Um, so we drive an hour away. As we're picking Honeycrisp apples, which happened to be my favorite, I get a call. My phone starts vibrating my pocket. And I take it out, and I see the caller ID. And it was the name of a wedding planner that I had worked with in the past. So right then and there, like, my heart starts beating, like, twice as fast as it was. And I answer it, say, hello. And she is screaming on the other end of the line, where the blank are the strings. Uh, the bride walks down the aisle in 10 minutes. Get your asses over here or, like, they'll be hell to pay. So I was, like, freaking out. I said, give me, give me one minute. I'm going to call all the string players, try to get them there. And I couldn't do it. I called all the string players, but they they were all busy. Plus, the venue was like 20 minutes away, and they the bride walked down the aisle in 10 minutes. Oh, boy. And so I called her back, and I said, I'm so sorry. I know the DJ at your wedding. I'm going to call him and get him to play the ceremony. And so, like, it was an acceptable solution, but it still was not good. <laughs> They ultimately had music at their wedding, which was great. But then I had to go on this apology tour. I called oh. the, the bride, the groom. Her mom was like crying. I called the wedding planner, the venue. I said, I am so sorry. I refunded her the money. I actually paid for their DJ because ultimately I was worried about my career. I had worked so hard to build myself up as this wedding musician in Milwaukee because that's how I was making a full-time living before graduating college. And this moment could have taken that away from me. So, Jared, let's, let's focus on, so, you know, private gigs are, are, as you said, they can be a, a high paying, um, business opportunity for musicians. I mean, you know, and, and we're not talking about the $1 million to play at Oracle's holiday party. Although, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the dream that everybody has. Sure. But, you know, I mean, Jay's had experience putting on small private gigs. House concerts are private gigs, basically. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the, the real basic tips and and tactics you've discovered over the years of how to get yourself into that market of private gigs because i i know i've worked with some clients where boy you know a couple private gigs a month can really supplement your your downtime when you can't get public tour mm -hmm. tour dates so you know one or two private gigs playing a house party a small business party um, can really be a boost to a career. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the tips that I would say for that is each type of private event, private gig is different. And you have to recognize who is the kind of person that books that gig. For example, a wedding is booked by a bride or a groom who is different than a person who books a house concert. So you have to understand the avatar of the person who's booking you. And you have to realize that those types of people congregate together in different places. So for example, 
brides and grooms tend to hang out online on websites like Wedding Wire and The Knot, whereas a corporate event planner typically might uh, congregate in a professional like networking group for corporate event planners. So if you can infiltrate where they're hanging out, that's when you can hook them into your marketing funnel, tell them the story about how your group can enhance their next the Oracle Christmas party or something, and then make them an offer that they can't refuse so that they have to book you. Now, the, the make them an offer, that's, that's a big deal because I think one thing that probably a lot of bands, musicians don't realize is you've got different value for your performance. You're playing a bar and a coffee shop. You know, that's you're getting paid a different amount than that same performance and same set would get at a private gig because let's be honest, private gigs generally have much better budgets. Yes. To pay. And and you know, they're not private gigs are also not interested in how many tickets can you sell, how big is your Facebook following you know because it's a gig that's not open to the public so they really you know what they care about is the music your professionalism and maybe your star status if you've if you've hit that sort of level of oh my god you know oracle's got aerosmith i mean that's that's mm -hmm. huge so how does an artist learn to sit here and go well i would be willing to accept 200 bucks to play the coffee shop but don't ask for 200 bucks from that private gig ask for two thousand dollars from the private gig i mean that's that that's a that's a big hurdle for somebody to overcome in a business setting is knowing that you got to ask more yeah absolutely i feel like you know if there are fears around asking a high price typically like we the stories that we get told by those coffee shops and those bars who try to undercut us they tell us the story that our music isn't worth a lot which to me is a downright lie and but if you're getting told that story over and over again by like here's a hundred bucks for playing our bar on friday and here's 250 for playing the coffee shop and here's 50 for our new festival that you'll get to get all this exposure for yeah we start that. to we start to believe those stories. Yeah. I would just add to that, uh, Jared, that what I find living in Los Angeles is a lot of artists will pay to play mm. because it's such an important market that they end up. And even if they're not paying to play by the time they get their sound man and the crew and the band and they load in and load out and rent any equipment, they're lucky if they break even. So the reason I've been able to do house concerts for 20 years and, you know, we've had artists like Kurt, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears and Lisa Loeb and Jason Faulkner and, you know, just a lot of great artists is because I went to see Kurt Smith play the standard um, on Sunset. And there was a decent crowd there, but I, I doubt that if he he broke even on that mm -hmm. show. And, you know, I had worked with him, you know, from his record label. So when they do one of my house concerts, they could walk away with anywhere between one and three thousand dollars for a couple of hours. And they've got a crowd that is quiet as a mouse focused on them. They're not trying to get laid. They're not 
clinking beer bottles. And then typically what we'll do is we'll do like a 45 minute set. Then they'll go over to kind of the merch table and talk to people and sign stuff. And then they'll go back and, and play again. And what I've learned, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that after each one of those shows, the artist has said to me, I didn't want to stop. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could have played all night because they're not used to having people, you know, six feet away from them, just totally focused and into everything that they're doing. So the quality of the show is better. The quality of the audience, the, you know, what the artist gets out of it. And then of course the revenue from merch sales and from those ticket sales can be a lot more than they would make for just playing a club. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that compensation piece is actually pretty big because if you look at like what's happening now in the general job market overall, people are realizing that they're underpaid and they realize they don't have to take that anymore. Like that's right. They're leaving their jobs and finding something better. But the ones who do stay are the ones who feel adequately compensated and that there's valued, that there's a culture built. And so the same thing applies for gigs. Like if you're sitting there or if you're, you're on stage playing for a thousand, three thousand bucks, you feel valued. So you'll want to play longer. You'll feel like you're getting so much in return that you want to reciprocate and give even more and, and play your best. Um, yeah. So uh, there was something I was going to mention before about making an offer and being comfortable charging a higher rate. Is it cool if I kind of share my thoughts on that? Sure, sure. Cool. So I know a lot of musicians, and this was me too. When you first get started, you're like, how could I possibly ask $1,000 for a gig, especially when I just played, you know, a gig for under 100 bucks last week? And it wasn't until I started, like, creating an offer in a way that lists out everything that I provide for a gig then I actually started to feel confident in doing that. So, you know, the first thing I did was I actually like looked at all of the equipment that I bring to a gig and I actually listed out how much does all of this cost? How much did I pay for all of this? Right. And I realized I'm bringing my violin alone is like $20,000. I'm bringing 20,000 to every single gig that I do and I'm charging a hundred bucks. That's crazy. Uh, But it's not just that though, is it? Cause like I told you, I went to music school for two degrees. I've literally spent probably around $200,000 on my music education. Sure. Sure. And then the amount of time I've spent learning all the songs and for a classical musician like me, we have to pay for our sheet music. So if you pay for sheet music, I'm bringing that value to all these gigs and it was absolutely insane. But the cool part was it actually made me feel like, I'm worth all this. Yeah. Well, totally. And I think you make a really good point. And I find this, I used to tour as a musician and I find it, I compare it to photography. So like when I do photography for people, they'll say, Oh, this would be good for your portfolio. No, Mm -mm. I've got a really nice portfolio. And people will say that what you just said a few minutes ago, this is good exposure for you. Well, are you making money? Is somebody making a profit here? Because what that, what that band, what that music does is really powerful and it's got a value. And I would, I have turned down gigs in photography where I'm like, no, 
I, I, if you're not going to pay that, it's not worth my time. I'll find something else. That's the hard part is for musicians to know their value, know their worth and be able to say, no, I'm not going to do this. You, you only want to pay that, then you can get some someone who's never done this before. But you're absolutely right. There's all these memes online about it's the only profession, you know, where you drive 200 miles with, you know, $10,000 worth of equipment in a van to play a $200 gig. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Maybe and, and maybe both Jay, you and Jared can answer this. Are there... Are there agencies, are agents a good place to get into that can then get you private gigs as opposed to, because, you know, let's be honest, so many bands have so much stuff on their plate as it is. Now you're saying, well, go hang out where bride and grooms hang out and go hang out where event planners hang out. And they're just like, Christ, I can't even hang out on my Facebook page for my band, let alone <laughs> now now engaging with brides and grooms. Are there services out there that can help an artist represent them for private gigs? The answer is yes. And I think, you know, having a strategy that involves them is for sure okay. But you have to realize you're going to be paying them Sure, there's a commission there's mm -hmm. gonna that's gonna have to be paid. But again, if they're getting you higher paid gigs, a commission coming off of five thousand dollars is worth it versus you just got a five hundred dollar gig, you know. So I, I I think you know the the numbers make make it worth the while. I just don't you know, and and I haven't booked private gigs, but I want to try and help artists understand that as much as it's a do-it-yourself effort there are people out there that can actually help you mm -hmm. get private gigs yeah definitely and there are also websites you know we've you probably come across like gig salad and the bash.com or whatever those are similar to agencies they're a little more hands-off so you do have to do some of the work yourself but you know corporate event planners will go on those websites try to browse for a style of music they're looking for and if you come up as that they'll reach out to you and say hey we're interested are you available so yeah it it can take a lot of the work off your plate it's is is this something you know as you said they're browsing for a style of music is this something somewhat similar to music licensing where where you know, somebody's trying to place a song in a TV show. They don't care necessarily about the artist. They care about the music and how does it fit what they need. And again, a private gig is sitting here going, hey, Jay, I don't care if your band only has 20 people. Man, the music I listen to is absolutely perfect for this event we're putting on. And we're not counting on you to draw an audience for us. So it doesn't matter if you have no following, you've got great music, great performance. That in itself is something I think an artist has to, a hurdle they have to think about overcoming that this is, this is a different world than the public facing world where the public facing world is build your fan base, build your fan base, build your fan base, and then success will follow. This is a world, private gigs is a world where you don't necessarily need to have any fan base. You just got to have great music that fits a specific 
purpose. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, my group is called Dream City Strings, and we have no fan base because we don't do public shows. Now, I'm looking to launch the public part of this, but we've built an entire business where I'm supporting all of these musicians financially through private events, and we have no, no following. But um, what was I going to say? Yeah, you can do both. But just realize that the fan base building thing isn't necessary to actually start to get into the, the private events scene. Yeah, and frankly, you may make more revenue doing it the way you're doing it. Um, it's, it's just a different way of approaching the business, and it can complement each other. Mm -hmm. um, I have been to weddings, for example, where I've seen, I went to one recently where there was this duet, and they were amazing. I never would have seen them probably in a club. And if I was in a club, it'd be loud, and noisy, and, you know, it probably wouldn't have been the same experience. So I can see doing these private gigs is really if you can do it both ways, right? You can do the private gigs and, you know, have some revenue so you can eat, but then play some of the hipper, cooler rooms, maybe for less money and try to grow your base that way. Do you see it kind of the symbiotic relationship? Yeah, they definitely feed into each other. Um, but Michael, one thing that you mentioned was that you said that you th think that you have to have amazing music to get into private events. And I would love to believe that that's true, but I've seen some musicians who have really good marketing. And then when I watch their videos, it's not the best music, but yeah. they're still getting booked which I can't fathom, but like that kind of reinforces the idea. Like if you're good at marketing your music, you almost don't need as much talent as you think you do either. But I wouldn't say like, that's not the approach that I would well, yeah, take. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we always say at, at the end of the day, you've got to have good music. I mean, you've got mm -hmm. to have good songs, but, but this sort of leads to something else I wanted to bring up to both of you. Um, are private gigs also something where you have to be a little more flexible in that if the if the if the person booking the gig says, okay, this is what we want you to play. These are your songs that we've listened to. I want mm, you to play these three songs. Oh, I've never played them before. I can't do that. Well, that's what we want because we're paying you five thousand dollars. Or to the extreme. Hey, you're you're a great rock band, and you've got some great original tunes. But can you throw some Bon Jovi in there as well? That's so mm -hmm. great that you mentioned that. I would imagine if you were a wedding band, that would be so common. But I can tell you, in 20 years of living room shows, never once have we said to an artist what we'd like to play ever. Not once. Um, they play what they want, and sometimes the audience will you know, make it known, gosh, I wish you'd play that one song that you do or whatever. But again, they don't want to stop. But I guess, and I'd let Jared answer this, I would imagine when you play a wedding, that's not typically a lot of original material. You know, it's Ave Maria, and then it might be old time rock and roll on the dance floor. Uh, I'm oversimplifying, but is that kind of how you see it? Yeah, I would say that covers tend to be more prevalent in the wedding scene. Um, and even as a classical musician, I just consider classical music covers from the 1700s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you That's make a good classic. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you make a good point, though, that for probably wedding, I would say weddings can be some of the more higher maintenance gigs out there because there are a lot of requests and things have to be done a certain way. But, you know, for a while, I was kind of struggling with people requesting all these different things that I knew weren't going to sound good on string <laughs> instruments. <laughs> right, right. Like, I free can't... bird. <laughs> free bird on the violin, please. <laughs> that actually would sound really cool. Okay, wow. <laughs> but um, something like Kanye West, not so much. Yeah, I hear right. you. So hear there you. was a point where I was just getting so overwhelmed by this, and I felt like I was being pushed around too much that I made the decision, we have a set list of songs that we're willing to play, and you can pick from it like a menu. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I've seen some bands that do that. Here's here's 300 songs we can do, and pick the 20 you want us to perform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And actually, getting back to the BookLive software, it actually lets the bride and groom log in to their own little client portal where they can pick from our menu and put it into the song that they're walking down the aisle to or the first dance. So it kind of puts the bumpers in, you know, if you yeah. go bowling, you've got bumpers. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And, you know, and, and I sort of bring all of this up because it's, again, the private gig world is a different world than the public gig world. So there's going to be different requests put upon you when the show is booked that you may never encountered before when you play a bar, the bar is just like, you play whatever you want as long as we sell enough beer at the end of the night, That's we right. love you. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we don't care about the music. A bride and groom care very much about the music. They pick every song they want played and they have songs where it's like, do not play this song. Mm -hmm. So you need to be prepared for these different requirements that might be put upon you when you move into the private gig space and and jace to your point i would say house concerts they're all private gigs but a house concert is different than a wedding performance yeah. which is different from a corporate performance as well they're all going to have different different requirements put upon you yeah. even though they're all private gigs and you need to be if you're serious i guess what i'm saying is if you're serious about going into this you need to be prepared to deal with each one of these types of private gigs a bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say Are there any true. other types of gigs that we're missing? Like we're talking about weddings and funerals, you know, we're talking about, you know, the corporate gig, we're talking about like house concerts, which are really more about the artists. Are there any uh, like birthday parties? I mean, Sweet what are teens? Yeah. Bar yeah. mitzvahs, private parties, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. What do you think is the most, um, financially which which one kind of typically pays out the most would it be on the wedding side um i mean when you talk about pays out financially there are kind of two factors to that one is like the maximum dollar amount per gig which in my opinion would actually be like expense. sure that mm -hmm. makes sense but then the budget yeah they've got the budget and but then on the other side of it there's number of opportunities per year right and is only going to book one holiday party right and if if your city only has i don't know how many like corporate events are happen sure. in each city but it's less frequent than weddings 
weddings there's actually some hard data about the number of weddings in each city i found this really cool online report interesting that it actually pulls from your local like courthouse for the number of like marriage certificates applied for in 2021 and in milwaukee it was like 15,000 in a given year so, so that that that's how big your potential market is and and to your point corporate could be a lot smaller and corporate people are all you know to to the in the simplest terms people are always getting married mm -hmm. corporate spending very much depends upon economy right i mean i've i've worked at some big corporations that would have holiday parties year after year after year and then all of a sudden it was a really sucky economy or sucky business year guess what uh we're not having the open bar and the band at this year's corporate party because we got to cut back on it. Yeah. so there's other factors that can play into affecting the the corporate world as well for sure and to a degree that can also affect weddings for example when the pandemic hit you know many of my 2020 gigs were postponed i bet to, but they came back a lot faster than we do some corporate events they came back faster than the corporate events sure so yeah it's interesting final, final question for both of you and jay you mentioned this where at a house concert you know somebody might do a 45 minute set take a break go sit back by their merch table and then come back for another 45 minute set how is selling merch viewed at these various types of corporate events i could understand a house concert it's like yeah that's fine you can sell whatever you want but is a corporate event is a wedding going to sit here and go, yeah, feel free to have your merch table in the back and sell your Congratulations to the bride and groom. Please meet us over at the merch yeah, table. Yeah, I mean, are, are there some instances where you're just going to have to sit here and go, you know what, don't push it. They're, they're, you're not going to sell merchandise at these types of events. Yeah, that's kind of the philosophy I take is they are compensating me very well on the front end of the deal where I don't need to make it up with merch sales or tips. Like having a tip jar at the wedding would be similarly tacky to having tacky. A, a merch table. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we find, you know, with with house concerts, obviously that's that's different where it's totally acceptable to have a tip jar. It's totally acceptable to have vinyl, T-shirts, CDs, what, whatever. In fact, they'd be disappointed if you didn't have it because they want a souvenir. They want to go home with that signed seven-inch single or whatever it is. So I think the uh, living room show or co house concert is really more about the artist, whereas some of these other ones, it's really not. You know, the wedding isn't about the artist. It's about the bride and groom. You, and having uh, yeah, the right at, at a wedding, you are you're basically background music for a bigger event. A house concert is a concert for the artist. A corporate event, I'm assuming, could go either way. Yeah, that's kind of a hybrid, on, right? Depending mm -hmm. on how the, the corporation feels about letting you do that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even within corporate events, you know, there are shades of gray to that too. Like, is this a corporate luncheon? Is this a company-wide party on a friday night is there which, liquor <laughs> yeah are they giving speeches is this just a concert because they wanted you and they wanted to give a fun opportunity to their staff who worked so hard this year yeah yeah 
Yeah. So, so I, I guess it, my takeaway from all of this is, as an artist, you, and if this is your first time getting into this world, there's a lot of questions you should be asking up front. Don't just say, okay, I booked a private gig and show up thinking you're going to treat this just like a live concert. You should probably ask a lot of questions in advance if they're not already being asked of you by the planner. I would assume like a wedding planner, ha even a major corporation event planner, has their set drill of, all right, this is it. You're doing A, B, C, D, E, and F, and this is how it's working, and this is what we require of you. Boom. Mm -hmm. it, it's probably the small one-offs where if they don't ask that up front, maybe you need to ask. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, that's why I also recommend a, con a contract for every single show Smart. to get, of course. Yeah. get the terms in writing. Yeah. Good fences make good neighbors. No, that's that's super smart uh, to get it all in writing. So, so Jared, where can people learn more about Book Live? Where can they learn more about you? Uh, the the Dream City Strings. Do you guys have like a website? Do you have your music up anywhere? Yeah, you could take a listen. We're at DreamCityMusic.com, and I mentioned before the marketing funnel. Yeah. Uh, so that is part of our wedding marketing funnel. You'll notice it looks different than most musicians' websites. It talks very specifically about what it looks like to have us at your wedding. Nice. So, so check it out. There are videos of us there. Cool. Do, um, you know, on, on that, that real quick topic, so would you recommend if, a, if an artist is trying to play both worlds here, public and private, should they almost consider having two different websites geared after each market? Um, not necessarily, because that's twice the work. And as you mentioned, it's hard to even juggle one thing at a time. I would recommend different pages on your one website, focusing on the different avatars that I mentioned before, like your public show avatar, have, have a page for them have a private shows, maybe even a wedding page or a house concerts page. That way your each page can speak to one type of person at a time. And then you can tie it all together with your homepage with like videos and then just a way to direct people to the right spot for who they are. Okay, good. Well, can continue with where we can find more about you and, and book live. Oh, sure. So uh, if you're interested in a free trial of the software, you can go to booklive.com and you'll see what it's all about. And if it's a good fit for you, you can get a free two week trial. I also have published a book that kind of talks about how to set up some of your marketing funnels for private events. It's called Gigging Secrets. And oh, you can there get, you go. Nice. get get that at giggingsecrets.com. It's pretty cheap. It's 10 bucks and it'll get shipped right to your door. And yeah, we also do like master classes. Um, if you follow us on Facebook, uh, just look up Book Live. You'll see when we are doing our next master class. So we want to just give cool. you some cool resources. Yeah, Jared, there, there is some real, stuff, real good information here about the the private gig marketplace, and and you know, again, as if every art artist needs yet another thing to to deal with. I do think this is very important because at the end of the day, live gigs, whether they're private or public, 
are so important yeah, to a that's musician. That's where you grow the audience. That's, that's where, where you make the revenue. That's where yeah. you find you, – you may not be able to sell merchandise, but you might be able to get a couple people who come up afterwards and go, can I get your card? Where can yes. I learn about you? I would, men, I would imagine most of these events wouldn't mind you at least putting something up somewhere that here's – Here's the website of the band for tonight. So at least the audience can learn more. And that's where you get your your fans. Mm-hmm. A private, private gig can bring you fans to public shows. It definitely can, yeah. for sure. Well, thank you so much for having yeah, me. This thanks, was a lot Jared. of fun to jam out about this. Yeah, thank you re- so much, Continued yeah, success, man. Info. Very cool. Do you have a Spotify playlist? Join our directory of playlists. We want to send you music. Submit your playlist today at submityourplaylist.com. You've got much more experience in the in the private gig world, Jay, but I found that to be very helpful, a lot of great insight. Yeah. I mean, it 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 it's it is a different world playing totally different house, world. house concerts, weddings, private corporate gigs. It's a different world than playing a bar or an arena or anything like that. Yeah, it really is. And there's so much revenue to be made there. And and to your point earlier, a fan is a fan. If you can get some of these people to see you in a quieter setting where they're not distracted by, you know, uh, a lot of noisy people or clinking glasses. Um, but I can tell you the reason the ones that we've done in the Los Angeles area have been so successful is because it's so intimate and the artists absolutely love having anywhere from 30 to 90 people quiet, focused, paying attention, and they eat it up. They absolutely love it. And they make good revenue. You try playing in a large city like Los Angeles, you're lucky if you can break even. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think every musician needs to think about private gigging have a strategy as part of their as part of their career strategy and you know it's not like you're going to land that you know ten thousand dollar private corporate gig right out of the box but start locally and i don't care how big or small your town is you know just reach out to a business that you love that you frequent that they know you because you're always shopping there or buying there or you work there and say hey if you're ever looking for a, a band for a corporate gig, keep us in mind. Now, that again, that brings up the whole about the performance in the set list. If you're, you know, black leather heavy metal band, you might want to create a softer version of your band to get that corporate gig. Yeah. Or you just have to understand your market is a much smaller for who would want that, you know, right. a wedding band isn't right. going to want to have a thrash metal band. Right. As, as, as the, the wedding music, your wedding, but, might, but my wedding might, <laughs> but I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong because you said it, you know, yeah. you said it, that, that the money from that corporate gig comes in and that helps finance everything else. Yeah. You know, maybe you got a cover band on the side. That's getting you a lot of good pain. I see that all the time. And the other thing that we talked about that I think is so important is that you don't have to have a big social footprint. You don't have to have millions of Spotify streams. It's kind of like what you referred to in sync licensing. It's a meritocracy. It's based on the quality of your band, not what your footprint you're following is. And I think that's important too. Well, and, and that's important because guess what? You don't have to worry about all that stuff on a daily basis. If you're really focused on growing 
private gigs. All right, you set up an informational Facebook page, an informational Instagram, but you don't have to do all the other bells and whistles and jump through all the hoops that we talk about week in yeah. and week out to market yourself and grow yourself as a public band. Somebody's just sitting here going, I'm looking for a Rolling Stones cover band and they do a Google search. And if your information pops up, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Again, they don't care that you can draw however many people. Yeah. Do you, you have to worry about that. It's have a captive the, audience. Do you, do you have the show that yeah. they want to give their audience? Yeah. So I'd love to hear from um, anybody out there who, who's got experience in private gigging. You know, what's worked for you? How, how have you learned that private gigging is different from public gigging? What have you learned? What are some of the, the eye-opening things you've encountered of like, oh yeah, I didn't realize I had to deal with this when I did private gigs. Yeah, so, are you are you able to do both? Yeah, please um, leave us some comments and let us know what you think. And of course, before we wrap up, just a huge shout out to Bruce at Hypebot and Bands in Town. And um, just a reminder, we are officially, um, I don't know how we launching ourselves in the bands in town artist community details to come very yep. soon here yep. but very cool you will be able to directly engage with us through the bands in town artist community um and of course to our our sponsors thank you so much to bandzoogle and discmakers.com we appreciate your continued support we sure do. and uh, that's it everybody we'll see you next week Visit DiscMakers.com to place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use promo code FREEBIZ and get free shipping up to a $150 value. This is for Music Biz Weekly, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.